Bismillah. Al-Ladhi la ilaha siwa Al-Wahid al-Ahad Al-Fard al-Samad Al-Ladhi lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakul lahu kufuwan ahad Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin wa sahabatihi al-salihin al-ghur al-mayamin wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawmiddin Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi salatan tunajjina biha min jami'il ahwali wal afat وتطهرنا بها من جميع السيئات وتقضي لنا بها جميع الحاجات وترفعنا بها أعلى الدرجات وتبلغنا بها أقصى الغايات من جميع الخيرات في الحياة وبعد الممات السلام عليكم ورحمة الله Can you hear me if I speak at this level? Yes? We're here to share some words and some reflections about the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam and nature. And to begin that, to begin that, let us go back to the first human being, our father. Adam alayhi salam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as you know, told the malaika, Allah says in the Quran, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim, wa qala rabbuka lil malaika, inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifa. So Allah ta'ala says that I am going to make in the earth a khalifa. I'm going to make in the earth, I'm going to create a vicegerent. I'm going to create a steward. I'm going to create my representative. And then, as you know, the angels, the angels, they were concerned. And they said, Ya Allah, are you going to make someone in the earth that causes mischief and sheds blood? Then Allah Ta'ala told them that, I know what you don't know. So we by this ayah, uh, the children of Adam السلام, are meant to be the khulafa. I am meant to be the khalifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth. The steward, the vicegerent of Allah ta'ala on earth. And what does that mean? What does that mean? In its, perhaps in its most holistic and complete meaning, it means that I am meant to represent Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of values on this earth, in my life. What does that mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, as you know, names and attributes. And we know Him by His names and by His attributes, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah azza wa jal is ar-Rahim the most infinitely merciful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-adl, the most just. Allah azza wa jal is al-sabur, the most patient. Allah is al-shakur, the most grateful. 
Allah is Al-Halim, the most forbearing and forgiving. Allah is Al-Alim, the most knowledgeable. Allah is Al-Hakim, the most wise, and so on. So I am meant, if I want to fulfill the role, that noble role of being a Khalifa, then I am meant to become the representative of Allah at the level where I reflect and I embody His names and attributes most beautifully at my human level. Is that clear? Because obviously a representative is one who represents. A vicegerent is one who takes charge of the affairs of someone else and discharges that trust, that responsibility. And the mustakhlaf, the one who is entrusted or placed in charge, must be a, an image, a model, a paradigm, a paragon of the mustakhlif, the one that appoints and discharges. If I was appointing someone to run my empire, my business empire, after my death, and I was looking for someone, who am I going to select? So I look, and in all likelihood, I'm going to appoint that person who best represents me. In name, I mean, I may not even choose my, I may not choose my son or daughter though they share the same last name as me. Because sharing a name is not enough. So let's say my name is Riyadh Muslim. So I'm not interested in someone who just has the name Muslim. And being a Muslim in name does not make me a Khalifa of Allah Azza wa Jal. Does not make me a representative of Him. Does not make me entitled to being called the representative of God, of the divine on earth, in everything that I say, in everything that I feel, in everything that I think, in everything that I do. So we are meant, and this is a very powerful and beautiful and true understanding that the ulama have conveyed to us of what it means to be the Khalifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth. I am meant to be forgiving, Rahim. I'm meant to be Alim, someone of knowledge. I'm meant to be Hakim, someone of wisdom. I'm meant to be Sabur, Sabir, Sabbar, someone who is very patient. I'm meant to be Shakur, someone who is thankful and grateful and appreciative. I'm meant to be Halim, easygoing, calm, forgiving, overlooking when people, even when they harm me and when they violate my rights. As a general rule, I'm meant to be able to forgive and overlook and pardon. I'm meant to be Afu in the way that Allah is Al-Afu. I'm meant to be Rafiq in that sense, gentle. Kind, latif, kind. I'm meant to be that. If 
I am not that. I am not a Khalifa of Allah. Though my name is a Muslim name, though I do the rights of what a Muslim does, I pray, I fast, I do hajj, I make dhikr, I make a lot of salawat, I give a lot of sadaqah. But if I don't, at the level of my inner being, my khuluq, my character, if I do not represent Allah names and attributes at a real level, then I am not a khalifa of Allah I may be only in name or form, but not in spirit, not in truth, and not in reality. So that's what Allah meant for us to be, and that is what gives us the honor of being His representative on earth. And as an aside, if I decide to, if I decide to, or have Allah gives me or the ability to create an Islamic society, and let's call that Islamic society a khilafah, same derivative meaning. So that Islamic society must reflect the values and the names and attributes of the divine. It must be a society that embodies rahmah. Must be a society that embodies qist, fairness and equity and justice. That ilm and hikmah and a society that forgives that has as a value, as a value that it doesn't seek revenge and vengeance. Because if it does, if that's what we do in what we call a khilafah, that we are driven by acts of vengeance and violence, that does not represent Allah's names and attributes at any level. Yes, justice and the imposition of law, absolutely, that's adl. But adl tempered within the envelope of rahmah, of merciful love. So I can call my political, my polity, anything I want. I can call it a khilafah, and I can call myself a khalifa, and I can call myself amirul mu'mineen. That does not mean in reality that I am a khalifa of Allah Azza wa Jal. Only when my khuluq represents the names and attributes of Allah Azza wa Jal, and only then are we truly, well, we're never entitled to Allah's mercy. Allah, we're never entitled to Allah Ta'ala's mercy. But really, Allah would not look upon us with the look of rahmah and grace until I embody at a real level what it means to be a khalifa. And as a community, what we truly embody those values and live them and the ibadat, the formal structures of ibadah, are meant to give me that. They're meant to lead to that. In the sense that, the more that I am aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and all of the ibadat, the, end, the, 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 the aim and essence of every ibadah, dhikr, dua, Qur'an, salah, saum, hajj, all of that is greater awareness at the level of my qalb of Allah. To be in more ihsan, to worship Allah like I see Him. 
And if I worship him like I see him, and if he is divine beauty and divine majesty, then would I also not become beautiful in my khuluq? Would I also not become beautiful in the way that I behave, in what I say, in what I do? So the nearer I get to Allah, the more of his names and attributes I'm supposed to embody. And therefore my khuluq is meant to reflect that. So ibadat are a means to that. Ibadat are not an end by themselves. They're a means to beautifying my khuluq. So if my fasting doesn't do that, then it is hollow. It's hollow. If my fasting doesn't make me more patient, kind, compassionate, sympathetic, softer of heart, if my words are not softer to my family, that's not helping me at all. That's just a form. I'm just going through the motions. I'm a robot. There's nothing happening inside. And that's a tragedy. Is it not? So, as I become more of a Khalifa and embody those values, I'm going to be embodying, and I mentioned some of those values, Rahma, of merciful love, of Adl, of justice, equity, Hikmah, of wisdom. Now, if that is what I was meant to be, what Adam was meant to be, and every child of Adam was meant to be, the most perfect of us is the one who can represent those names and attributes most perfectly. So here there's no multiple choice. It is only him. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. That's it. Of all that they have of the Anbiya and the Rusul who have embodied those beautiful names of Allah Ta'ala and attributes at the human level, obviously, at a human level, at a created level, by purifying their hearts, the best of them, the noblest of them, the most august of them, was Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wa Wasallam. And therefore our ulama tell us that it is indeed in him that you find the most perfect realization at a human level, at a created level that could ever exist of all of those names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And here we could say two things. To achieve, let's say, spiritual mastery of even one of them, is very, very difficult. Because they all have levels. And every beautiful attribute of khuluq is not truly called khuluq until it is realized at a permanent level. So I can be generous, kareem, most days of the week. That doesn't mean that I am kareem. It means I am struggling to be generous, but I am not generous. I can be generous in my wealth, but I am very miserly with my emotions and time with my family. I get angry at my wife. 
impatient at her. That means I'm not generous truly yet. I can give him all my money. That's different now. That's a, that is a, a type of generosity. But being generous with my time and my emotions and my feelings, that doesn't mean, that means I'm, I'm struggling to be kareem. I am not there yet. And if and when I am able to be generous all the time, in the sense that it just flows like water for me. It, I, I do it despite. If I wanted not to be generous, I couldn't. So that means that, alhamdulillah, I have that khuluq of karam. By the grace of Allah, I can say, alhamdulillah, I've reached a maqam. I've reached a station of being generous. And there are st- stations upon stations of generosity, but let's say, perhaps, the minimal station, Alhamdulillah, I've reached that. That's very difficult. Sometimes it's given as gift. Sometimes we have to work hard for it. But that would be what one khuluq is like. To be truthful. Well, there's words. I never lie. Ever. That's hard. I, my actions are truthful. Another dimension. Another my feelings with Allah are truthful. What does that mean? Everything he loves, that's what I love in feeling. Everything he doesn't love, I don't love or are inclined to it at all in feeling. So you can see how difficult that one is. Sidq, the maqam of Sidq, that is the maqam of, of the awliya. Now, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam has all of them all of them at the highest levels of each so if you were to imagine his khuluq well actually it is ima- it is unimaginable those who have known his khuluq something of it of what Allah showed to them they say you cannot, you, you cannot imagine it. It is too beautiful. And we can only understand what our ability and capacity allows us to understand. We only see as far as our eyes can see. The visuals are only as healthy as the eye itself. So how can a heart truly know the heart of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa only Allah will know His beauty. But I can know aspects of it, flashes of it, and glimpses of it, of His beauty, depending on what my heart is like of beauty. If my heart doesn't see beauty, and is not clean enough, I won't see Him. That's why Allah Azza wa Jal says, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمَ you have in the Messenger وسلم, a beautiful example that you can see to be beautiful, but it's conditional for the one who wants Allah, for the one who longs for the Akhirah, and for the one who remembers Allah a lot. The one who doesn't remember Allah a lot will not see beauty in Him. 
And the one who remembers Allah a lot will see more beauty in him. And more beauty and more beauty. That's why probably they say more dhikr, more practice of sunnah. At that level, because the heart is clean, the cleaner it is, the better it sees. Better it sees, the better it feels. Better it feels, the better it wants. So it wants to be like him. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. So at every level, he is beauty. No matter which way you look. No matter what khuluk you choose. It doesn't matter. It is beyond beauty. Khairan. Now you can see where we're going with this for the Messenger وسلم, in nature. Now, the expression of those beautiful akhlaq, let's take merciful love, or justice, or kindness, right? Or softness, or tenderness, or gentleness. So, because he is that, sallallahu alayhi wa at the level of his akhlaq, permanently like that, he permanently reflects that with all of creation, with all of existence. Existence includes men and women. So we find, if we look at his seerah with respect to dealings with men, privately, publicly, socially, politically, diplomatically, militarily, we find that it reflects the names and attributes of Allah Azza wa Women at every level, teaching privately with his wives, publicly with the other women around him who are believers. Uh, same thing. Youth, same thing. Nature, nature is a creation. Same thing. We find that his relationship with nature is a reflection of the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the most beautiful level of realization. Allah ta'ala says, and you know, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ We've only sent you, O Muhammad, as a, as a rahma. And rahma in Arabic is mercy and love together. It is not only mercy. Because mercy to a great extent, is the, the power that the strong has over another. And when they don't exercise that power, they're said to have mercy. So mercy has this idea of power over another and not exercise or a lack of, ex- or, or a restraint in exercise of power, though one has the ability to do that. So that is a dimension of rahmah. But we don't say that that's the relationship of a mother with a child. When we say the mother has rahmah for the child, do we mean that every instance of that is she can punish the child but doesn't? Is that, you know, is that how a mother's relationship is with a child? It is not. It's one of love, of tenderness. So rahmah is not simply mercy, it's merciful love or loving mercy. And if that's a problem, it shouldn't be, because Allah is al-wadud, the one of full of loving kindness, full of loving kindness. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has merciful love, you know, wasiyat rahmati kulla shay. Says Allah azza wa jal, my rahmah includes 
everything encompasses everything even of course the kafir how do they live how do they breathe how are they sustained given time by his merciful love his merciful love encompasses everything his special love his hub is only for those who obey him but merciful love everything everyone wasi'at rahmati kull shay is am in a very clear sense it's unrestricted it's unrestricted in everything is covered by my merciful love and loving mercy but my special hub that is not for those who disobey me that is not for those who reject me that is only for those who believe in me and seek me so rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam has rahma for everything and that's why we have only sent you as a merciful love lil alamin to all of the worlds and the world of nature is a subworld of our world or at least a part of our world in either case it's encompassed by that so he was sent sallallahu alaihi wasallam as a rahma to everything and everyone and if we had time we could see how easy a rahma for muslims for non-muslims for munafiqun even for nature for the jinn for the inanimate world he is a rahma in every single sense and if i i see any act of his or any uh command of his or any prohibition of his as devoid of rahma then i have not understood it and understood him if i see anything because allah ta'ala says wama illa so wama arsalnaka illa you know hafizukumullah yufidu alqasr wal hasr it means i have only sent you it doesn't mean i have sent you it means the only reason why you are have been sent is merciful love and that means by extension every word is in reality merciful love every deed in reality merciful love and by extension every fiqhi ruling whether ibadat or non ibadat in civil law criminal law rules of military engagement economic activity social interaction all of that is rahma loving mercy if my heart is cleansed enough to perceive that so if i see it as other than that then i'm not seeing it correct it is rahma i'm not seeing it as rahma there's something faulty with the gaze not something faulty with him and what he loves and what he commanded and what he showed he says in a text sallallahu alaihi wasallam inma ana rahmatun muhda another text inma i i am only a gift of love that's how it would read 
I would I am only a gift of merciful love. Rahma, merciful love, muhda, gifted. I am a gift to you of merciful love. So if we reject the gift, we're rejecting a gift of merciful love for us, for me. And every interaction, now we get to the nature part. Every interaction is an interaction of rahmah, and it must be so, and it's commanded to be so, even with nature. So, so many, many examples of that. So many, so beautiful, so profound. Uh, of how he interacts with nature, and how we're supposed to interact with nature. But it's important for us to know, for me to know, the core of that. As I get near to Allah Azza wa Jal through ibadat, I have more ihsan, more inner sight of Allah, of His beauty, of His majesty. And that must spill over on my khuluq, my akhlaq, my character, to make me beautiful, to make me in His quote-unquote image of names and attributes that I then reflect with created things. Human and non-human. So, before we look at some of those examples, as you know, uh, through probably the last the last session, that all of nature is in dhikr of Allah. You had that one, right? Malan Akram, right? That everything in nature is in remembrance of Allah. وَإِن مِّن شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِهِ وَلَكِنْ لَا تَفْقَهُونَ تَسْبِيحَهُمْ وَإِن مِّن شَيْءٍ Again, حَصَر There is nothing. And shay is anything besides Allah. So there is nothing in this existence except that it is in glorification or dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal. But you don't know how they do that. You don't know the modality and the mode of them doing it. So already, every living thing is a dhakir. The tree, the bird, the ant, the leaf. The Because it's a thing. Actually not living thing, everything. The water, the rain, the wind. Uh, the plants, the birds, when that door opens, some of the Salaf al-Salih, now these would be true Salaf al-Salih. If we want to speak about the early Salaf, if we want to speak about what the Salaf used to be, this gives you an insight into the heart of the Salaf. So one of them said, no door opens except that I hear it in dhikr. So this is the Salaf. That is the Salaf. Imbued with dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal. Infused with it. Everything in dhikr and they see it. And they feel it. Imagine that. <laughs> so I'm just hearing the wind turning the pages. The Salaf are taking ibrah from that and seeing dhikr and being in more dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal. The creaking of the well, one of them said. When, when they go to those old days and 
to draw the bucket from the well, the pulley, the squeaking ajib. <laughs> Would you ever have thought that people can be this sensitive and cleansed of qalb, of heart, that they hear the glorification of Allah Ta'ala. Because usually we would think birds singing, right? The wind, not even wind blowing. Wind blowing is too much for us. We, I mean, how many of us are thinking wind blowing, wind is in dhikr? <laughs> saying wind blowing, oh no. Right? That's what we first think about. Or the rain coming. So those delicate sounds, maybe, yes? Maybe. Wallahu alam. But now what about the creaking of the pulley? <laughs> he says that squeaking. I am reminded of dhikr. It's in dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal. And that's obviously reminding him to be in dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the world is a different place. Because when you experience the world in dhikr, the world becomes a different place. You see, now one of our teachers, uh, Sayyiduna wa Mawlana uh, Mukhtar, uh, says, he says, I'm an environmentalist. But I'm not an environmentalist that sees a nature as a utility to be simply used. My interaction with nature, this is very profound. My interaction with nature is not utilitarian. What does that mean? I use it for whatever I want. And I even use it respectfully. And that's nothing wrong. I mean, if we have a utilitarian view of nature that is respectful that's good at one level I mean I'm not sure if I have that as a Muslim even I mean you know probably many of us the last thing we're con concerned about is being gentle with nature because perhaps we're very far removed from the khuluq of what it means to be a, a khalifa and we've you know, we've deluded ourselves to thinking that Muslim is enough. I pray a lot, that's enough. I'm entitled. I'm the best of Allah's creation. Don't, we don't say that, but that's what we feel. You know, I'm better than the kafir. Just because I do certain external acts that haven't penetrated even my internal being yet. So, um, what was I saying? Yes, so what does he do? So, he says, I'm not... You know, in that utilitarian sense. No. I love nature because it reminds me of Allah It has an inherent value. See, the difference is, if it has a utility, it has a value that I ascribe to it because of how I can use it. So, you know, I need to conserve nature for next generation. That's good, alhamdulillah. That's good. At one level, it's good. We should all have that, at least that. But I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about how it benefits me. How it benefits my children. So that's why I look after it. So it ultimately comes back to what? Me. It's about me. It's about my nafs. My needs. My God, what if I don't have air to live? I'll die. So I need to preserve it. I need to preserve it for self-preservation. So ultimately it comes back to me. But the Muslim, the mu'min, he loves nature, she loves nature, because it is the creation of Allah remembering him. And it has inherent value as a dhakir. It has inherent value and sacredness as a dhakir in itself.
And number two, it's probably remembering Allah more than me. It's probably more true to its Islam and loving surrender than me. So we should think like that. The bird, the bee, the trees, they are in remembrance of Allah Azza wa Jal. And I should be thinking, and you know, well, what about me? They're probably remembering Allah more, in that sense, more valuable. And so if I need to use that, maybe that's one reason why, before we slaughter, we need to take permission from Allah. So that Bismillah Allahu Akbar is taking permission from Allah to take a life that we can use. And probably because it's in more dhikr than me. So I actually need, it's not a lesser life form in that sense. It was made for me to use, yes. But it's not lesser in the sense that when I, when I take that life, it's with a sense of reverence that it is in dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal. And it has a sacredness in itself. Not simply because of what I attach to it of value that I can use. So that would mean a radical a radically new relationship with nature that is unseen, unheard, unparalleled, un, unobserved perhaps at this point where we speak about environmentalism. And the way in which, hamukullah, they would interact with nature is unbelievable. Speaking about the Salaf now again. right? So one of them, uh, Al-Imam Al-Jawzi rahimullah, narrates this in Sifatul Safwa. She was a waliya min awliya illa. Uh, and very, very, very uh, prominent. And they would visit her for advice. People would go and see her, men and women, to take her nasiha and so forth. So some people went to visit her. And then they said to them, she's not taking visitors. She has locked herself in her house for these last three days, and she is uh, in remembrance of Allah, and very sad and weeping. So they said, what happened? So she said, <laughs> she mistakenly killed an ant. So this is narrated from them. That's the real Salaf. She mistakenly killed an ant. In what sense? Well, she would never have done that viciously. Right? or premeditatively, kill it, probably a mistake. But she knew how serious that was. That ant is in remembrance of Allah It has its sacredness in itself. So she's conscious of that. So where do you get that? Who feels that? I mean, who feels that now? Because she is weeping for that. So she's feeling it. So take, give me any environmentalist, secular environmentalist, when they step on an end, how could they? Well, they can't feel that because they don't have, they don't have, the necessary truths that would lead them to an experience of nature that is genuine and tawhidic. They can't. They can't feel like that. And that concern for nature and its preservation can never be more than. Feelings, alhamdulillah, feelings, but never profound to the level that the Muslim ought to feel. So, looking quickly now 
at some examples of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, just a few of them, and then and then uh, we would we would close inshallah with some comments. So this is a compilation, it's an excellent book. I should probably mention that it's called Sayyida Sayyiduna Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Rasulullah uh, our master Muhammad and Timbuktu books has copies of this the translator is Khalid Williams um, and it's a superb translation in two volumes it's called Our Master Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam two volumes it's probably about 600 pages it's a translation of this book a very faithful rendition and very very beautifully done in English exquisite I felt very, very jealous when I read it. That I wasn't able to have done it like that and have reaped the reward of that. It's a beautiful work. And I would say it's necessary reading for every Muslim who wants to know about Rasulullah Not only that, uh, it's probably one of the best works in modern as well as classical times about his characteristics Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his Shama'il, his Seerah, and included in that are many, many beautiful stories. So it's, I, I saw actually piles and piles of them there when I was there a few days ago. So it, I, would, I would highly recommend it, inshallah. So from some of the, and it's written by uh, Sheikh Abdullah Sirajuddin, who was, uh, you know, what many of them, his contemporaries would say, to be a wali from the awliya of Allah Azza wa Jal. I read a, a biography of him and it's related that it was common knowledge that he would see Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam manaman in dreams وَيَقَضَةً awake and his students and contemporaries said that he would see Rasulullah not only in dreams but even in a wakeful state um, so definitely and this is one of his beautiful books, alhamdulillah. And, and he said that there was a special barakah when he wrote it. And he had a dream of Rasulullah after he wrote it as well. So it has a special, it has the, the fragrance of Rasulullah infused in it as you read it. It's very special. Uh, and it should be read with a lot of love and seriousness and care. So, for example, uh, uh, Imam Abu Dawood, and Ibn Khuzayma uh, narrate that Rasulullah once walked past a camel. And that camel is its, its back was meeting with its stomach, meaning it was very thin and very emaciated. So he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, fear Allah regarding your animals and these animals ride them in a good state and then if you do eat them eat them in a way that is good and that could mean that slaughter them in a way that is good and there are so many texts on that but before we say that ittaqullah so have taqwa now taqwa is not a mental idea. Taqwa is not an intellectual theory. Taqwa does not belong in the mind. 
Taqwa belongs in the qalb, in the heart. Taqwa is a spiritual, experiential state. That's what taqwa is. Taqwa is the feeling of attachment to Allah Azza wa The feeling of the awareness of Allah Azza wa The experience of tawheed. Dhawqan. It's tasted. That's why we said experienced, not intellectual. We all know what taqwa is intellectually. That doesn't mean that we feel it. That doesn't mean that that feeling is strong enough to cause us to stay away from what Allah doesn't love. So if I don't stay away from what He doesn't love, then my feeling of taqwa is not strong. It's an idea, a fancy, and it's not real. Because if it's an idea, it can be the most vivid idea. But if it doesn't affect what I do, it is a empty, hollow idea. No benefit. No benefit. So he said, Ittaqullah. Have that conscious awareness of Allah and it will help you in your behavior with anything and everything else. Then, uh, Abdullah ibn Ja'far said that Rasulullah placed me behind him, probably on a camel, one day, and we were going somewhere, and we entered into an orchard belonging to a man of the Ansar. And in there was Faida fiha jamalun. There was a camel. فَلَمَّا رَأَى النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمُ حَنَّ الْجَمَلُ وَذَرَفَتْ عَيْنَاهُ So the moment the camel saw Rasulullah it cried. It complained. And its eyes started to shed tears. So this is very interesting. It just sees Rasulullah and it starts to complain. And it knows where to go. Right? Even the camel knows where to go, who to seek solace with, who to seek refuge with among the creation of Allah Azza wa Jal, who to turn to. Even the camel knows that. So it approaches him. And so then Rasulullah hears that. So that has many, many meanings now. He knows what's going on. So he goes to the فَأَتَاهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ فَمَسَحَ ذِفْرَهُ And then he, he goes to him, he approaches him, the camels, the Rasulullah approaches the camel, and then starts to rub between its back ears here, on its head. Um, and then فَسَكَتَ الْجَمَلِ Then the camel softened and quietened down. And then فَقَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, Then he said, مَنْ رَبُّ أو مَنْ صَاحِبُ Who's the owner of this camel? And then one of the Ansar who owned it said, Ya Rasulullah, it belongs to me. Uh, a young boy came. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, it's mine. So he said, Don't you fear Allah? Don't you have taqwa? Don't you have this feeling, this spiritual experience of taqwa regarding this animal that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made you the owner of. So there are many examples here. Many lessons that could be taken from this. We should remember, we don't own. We should not act like an owner with the tyranny of an owner. We don't own anything. Even what we own, we don't own in reality. Allah has 
Allah is the Malik Al-Haqiqi, the Malik, the Malik Al-Haqiqi, the true sovereign, the true owner. And He has made us owners in a limited sense of certain things. So if I know that Allah is the Malik, one of His names, and the Malik and the King, then if I truly understand the beauty and the majesty of that name, it will reflect in how I behave with things under my care. So here's a good example about how awareness of Allah's names and, and actions affects how I behave towards things that I think I own. So if I'm not aware of Allah at the level of my qalb and His names, in this case the owner, so I'll behave in any which way I want. So he says, you know, you should know that Allah has made you a temporary owner of this. And therefore you should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِنَّهُ شَكَ إِلَيَّ أَنَّكَ تُجِيعُهُ وَتُدْئِبُهُ It came and complained to me, said he, sallallahu alayhi wa It came to complain to me, so it spoke to me and I heard. That Allah, that, that you make it hungry and you uh, make it work beyond its ability. You tire it beyond its ability. Um, and with regard to slaughtering, right? The idea of وَكُلُوهَا صَالِحًا Eat it, you know, eat it uh, in a beautiful way. Uh, you know, كَتَبَ اللَّهُ الْإِحْسَانِ عَلَى إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى كَتَبَ الْإِحْسَانِ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Famous text, Imam An-Nawwi quotes it in, in his Arba'oon. Because it's such a seminal text in Islamic ethics and morals. Allah Ta'ala has written ihsan on everything. So in everything that we do, we're supposed to show ihsan. And that ihsan, I remind myself again and you, is because of our ihsan with Allah. The ihsan with Allah is that we worship Him like we see Him. So if we see Him and we're near to Him, then that ihsan we carry over with ihsan to the created things. So if we reach a state, you see, I'm only as good ihsan-wise with creation as I've reached spiritually of ihsan with Allah. Right? So that ihsan I carry in my dealings with all of created things. And ihsan is more than justice. Justice is less than ihsan. If I live with people and I only want to show them justice, I will commit wrongdoing. Because the bar is here. And I, you know, if the bar is here, underneath which, underneath which is zulm, oppression and hurt and harm, over which is goodness and khair, if I only aim for the bar of justice, what happens when I slip? The moment I fall, I'm doing what? Injustice. Ihsan is here. It's justice with enveloped with mercy. So if I aim here and I show Ihsan for everyone, and that includes forgiving, overlooking, being gentle, not cursing, not praying against anyone, not praying against anyone, which is very interesting. When he prayed against people, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, 
It was because of a particular context. Their aggression and their violence against him. And he knew that they would not be guided. Either because of wahi or because of, of experience. But in general to pray against the kuffar, that's not from his sunnah. We want the kuffar to become Muslim. So we don't, and that's something which, Hafidhukumullah, you may disagree with me, but that general dua against kuffar, that needs to be understood in light of the context of when he prayed it, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and who he prayed it against. Not in general. Just imagine. You know, we don't think about these things. Just imagine if one of the imams made that general dua. Ya Allah, as we understood it to be general, but it wasn't in his haqq. It was specific people who were aggressive against him, violent, were not peaceful, were not treaty abiding. But let's say, Ya Allah, you know, curse the kuf, you know, Ya Allah, show la'ana on the kafara. And what if that was translated and spread to your neighbors here? Is that the intent? That they just read that in its general unrestricted way? Curse those who don't believe. Is that, is that what we want to convey? And why wouldn't someone, why wouldn't someone who was mischief making be in the masjid and translate that? We're living, alhamdulillah, in a good society here that's sympathetic. But we need to be much more sensitive, much more intelligent, much more wise. And think far ahead of the objectives of being in this country and how to conduct ourselves in a way that is adl and rahmah and according to the sunnah of Rasulullah To say that in a moment of anger just because you're frustrated because of the situation of Muslims is very unwise and very improper. Improper and unwise and harmful. And that's not the sunnah of his sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. When he was told in so many occasions, curse them, he says, I wasn't sent to curse. What does that tell you as a general rule? You know, kill the people of Taif. I wasn't sent for that. I wasn't sent. I was sent as rahmatun muhda. And where those who are aggressive and violent and they will not respond to reason, that's different. But that's a specific situation, not the general rule. And it should not be reflected in our general ad'iyah. Are you with me? I feel strongly about that. We can discuss it if you wish. But I think it's true. I think it's true when you look at the sunnah of his sallallahu alayhi wa and the spirit of it, it's very true. Um, and uh, so then, then he said that, well, the, the camel came and it, and it complained to me. Then we have another case. Oh yes, so in terms of the sacrifice. So, كَتِبَ اللَّهُ الْإِحْسَانِ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ فَإِذَا قَتَلْتُمْ فَأَحْسِنُوا الْقِتْلَ So if you kill something, in this, let's say specifically here an animal, أَحْسِنُوا right? Do it beautifully. Do it in the most uh, beautiful way with إِحْسَان. أَحْسِنُوا الْقِتْلَ And if you, وَإِذَا ذَبَحْتُمْ فَأَحْسِنُوا الذِّبْحَ Probably the first one is referring to matters of war. And the second one, matters of the biha. Uh, وَلْيُحِدَّ أَحَدُكُمْ شَفْرَتَهُ 
Let someone sharpen their knife and give ease to the animal that they are slaughtering. So even these, and these are not details. You know, these are not details. So the way you slaughter the knife, you know, the way you sharpen the knife. And he saw someone sharpening the knife in front of the animal. And then he says, you know, أَتَقْتُلَهَا marratain. Are you going to kill it twice? You kill it once because it sees you sharpening the knife. Then you kill it the second time. So you're killing it. He said, أَتَقْتُلَهَا marratain. You're killing it twice. So don't show them you're sharpening the knife. They should have no expectation they're going to die. And now, you know, we could say, but they're just an animal. But that's not what he's saying. That's not his level of sensitivity in haya and taqwa. So that ihsan, it spreads to everything we do. Everything, including the slaughter of what we think is, you know, a dumb, quote-unquote, dumb animal. Right? Everything we do. You know, one of the teachers, subhanAllah, it's ajib. It's unbelievable how much ihsan fills everything that they do. It's unbelievable. We were with him, I was with him, and we were with him traveling. So, in Turkey. So we went to one of the places where they used to have adhkar in Turkey. They preserved it. <clears throat> and the students went and they left their shoes and they entered. And then he said, call them back. So look at how they put their shoes. So I'm saying this with open nifaq. I'm just saying this to remind myself, Ya Allah and you. Right? I mean, the way we keep our things at home and so forth. Ya Allah, I am the last one to speak. I'm only saying this to remind myself and you inshallah and that you pray for me that I can actually implement what I encourage you to do. So he said, call them back. Look at the way they placed their shoes. And you know, they just chucked it there. So he said, that says a lot about what your qalb is like. That says a lot about the state in which your heart is. If it was with Allah Azza wa Jalla in Ihsan, you would put your shoes with Ihsan. Would you think? Would we ever think? Once, same, same teacher, uh, he, he has retreats in the United States of ilm and so forth. Then people walk in and the floors are wood. So, you know, he says, listen to the way you walk. You know, aren't you concerned that you're making noise when you walk with other people who are in those rooms and resting and in adhkar and, and reviewing ilm and so forth? So you should walk gently. And if you were in ihsan, you would do that. So all of that are reflections, our interactions with the world are reflections of the ihsan we have or we don't have. So on another one, some people came to Medina, and this is an interesting one, they were sitting on their, on their saddles, on their, on their uh, camels. They were just chatting. So he said, you know, وَلَا تَتَّخِذُوهَا كَرَاسِيَ He said, don't, uh, don't take them as chairs. لِأَحَدِيثِكُمْ, لِأَحَدِيثِكُمْ فِي الْتُرُقِ وَالْأَسْوَاقِ Don't take those animals as chairs, as sofas, to speak in the markets and in the uh, avenues of traffic. Why? 
See, we wouldn't think of that. You're hurting them. Why do they have to carry your load? You can get off them and speak. Why are you sitting on them and causing them to bear your weight and you're speaking about permissible things? So that's a level of ihsan. And then he said, this one the Shaykh brings, I don't know thee, how it comes in, the Musnad of Imam Ahmed. <coughs> he says, فَرُبَّ مَرْكُوبَةٍ خَيْرٌ مِّنْ رَاكِبِهَا He says, many or perhaps, you could translate it both ways, a riding animal is better than its rider. وَأَكْثَرُ ذِكْرًا لِلَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى مِنْهُ And more of a dhakir of Allah, more in remembrance of Allah than the rider. Right? So don't think, I can just sit on you. Right? And we can use an analogy for that with many things. That's just, you know, these beautiful pearls from him, وسلم, are meant to let the mind wonder in application in different ways. Because he can't speak about everything, وسلم, about nature. But what Allah shows us are the essential principles through which we can now draw parallels. Um, this one here, for example, it comes in Sunan al-Nasa'i. It's very interesting. Naha Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an qatlib difdi' What's a difdi' A frog. Waqala sallallahu alayhi wa sallam naqiquha tasbihun It's croaking, it's tasbih. So this is explicit. The Qur'an comes and tells you everything is in dhikr. We have two ahadith now where he said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam pointing to the fact that they're in dhikr, naqiquha, it's croaking, is, is tasbih of Allah. And therefore, because what does this text says? Therefore don't kill it. So when we are allowed to kill things, and obviously we are in some cases, not just to eat, but because of harm. That's why we're allowed to do that. Because the harm that they pose, those animals, whatever they may be, is great. And that harm is probable. I mean, if I see some poisonous adder, you know, in Namibia somewhere, when I'm hiking, there's no probable harm there. As long as it's not close to me and I can get away. But when the harm is probable and they pose a danger, that's when the shar says you're allowed to kill them for a reason, for a wisdom, for a benefit. And then, of course, the famous text uh, where a woman entered the fire because she has a cat and she tied it up and she didn't allow it to, to, to seek food and she didn't feed it. رَوَاهُ الْبُخَارِيُّ وَغَيْرُهُ So that is, you enter the fire for a cat because of your treatment to a cat. And similarly, the story of the the prostitute who gave water to a dog and Allah Azza wa entered her into the Jannah. Similarly, because of that, Ihsan. And then, uh, just maybe one or two others, for example, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala an, they were all together in a, an expedition. And then they found a, they found, found a small bird. And that bird had some chiclets and farhan. So they took those, they wanted to play with them, right? And the, uh, the mother became 
very, very worried and anguished. And she was crying. And then he said, فَجَاءَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم مَنْ فَجِعَ هَذِهِ بِوَلَدَيْهَا who, who caused grief to this mother by taking away her two chicklets. And then they said, Ya Rasulullah, we did. And he said, Rudduha ilayha. Give it back. Give them back to her. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi sallam. And there are other examples. Uh, for example, the, the last one perhaps to quote from here is that, you know, he prohibited taking animals as targets. That would obviously be in harmony with what we've been discussing. To kill them for no reason, to kill them because of target practice, right? Trophies, you know. Uh, and, you know, one of my teachers, Rahmallah, he says that, this is quite scary, he says that anyone who can kill an insect in cold blood, I think that you're able to kill a human in cold blood. He says, if you're able to take the life of something with cold blood, then he says, and he's an alim, faqih, murabbi, he says, then I fear that in you is the kernel of disrespect of life. Because ultimately what happened? You could say, yeah, human, non-human. You can make that argument. But how about this? Life and life. You took life. So you're capable of taking life. You could say human, non-human. Yes, but what they have in common is life. And what you've taken is life. And that's the commonality. So if you take that life, what, what would stop you in certain circumstances for being so quick to take the life of a human being? And we see that. We see that across the world in, in, in conflicts. Even uh, Don't even have to look at people who are not Muslim. Muslims, fighting Muslims, spilling blood, taking life, for what? You know, I think that you do that which is kufr. And it's not even kufr. You do that which is shirk. It's not even shirk. And then they permit the blood to be spilled. Like that mercilessly. Under the, the guise of shari'i analysis. That is not a shari'i analysis at all. What causes us to do that? What kind of hearts do we have that causes us to do that and justify it? Not only that, to do that and justify it with deen. Subhanallah. To justify it with Allah. Allah. Because what you're saying is, Allah gave me the license to do that. La ilaha illallah. So, and maybe we end like that. That the way we, we deal with nature is a good indicator of what we are inside. Why? Because, you see, the khuluq, wallahu a'lam, the khuluq is most beautifully expressed when it has power. Meaning that, you know, I mean, I can be, for example, scholars, they debate sometimes. Who is better? The patient poor person or the rich thankful one? Now, that has a big debate, but one argument of that though I don't know if it's necessarily true, is that, well, if you're forced to be a certain way, there's a goodness in that. So I don't have anything, so I have to be patient. So there's a lot of khair in that. But if you have the ability 
not to be a certain way and you choose it, that's more difficult. Are you with me? Therefore, for example, therefore, uh, probably a better example would be the issue of this. Well, most of us, when we're, when, we're, when we're given goodnesses, they're greater tests than when we don't have. Because we're not grateful for them. And they become great fitan for us. Right? Uh, and all of those fitan is what? We don't share it with those who don't have. We don't share it. So the more we're given, the less we share. So we're given a lot, we don't share, that becomes a great fitna for us. And a punishment, that wealth is a punishment. See, I have more wealth, but if I don't share it with those who need it, that wealth is not, wasn't given as a gift by Allah. It was given in reality as a punishment. Because Allah Ta'ala tested me with it. So that extra wealth is not, is not a barakah. Not a ni'mah, it's a niqmah. It's a punishment. Only when I use it in a way he loves, do I know it was given as barakah. So if I, if I come into a lot of money, I can't say barakah yet. I can't say ni'mah yet. I have to see how I use it. And when I use it properly, then I can say, inshallah, barakah. Before that, I don't know. It could be the cause of me being punished. So it's not a barakah. Sometimes Allah gives, and in reality, He's taken away. And sometimes He takes away, and in reality, he, He's really giving in reality. Sometimes He doesn't let me do something. I want to marry her. Please, Ya Allah, please, 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 please. Dua was zamzam maybe. Please, Ya Allah, at the Kaaba, Ya Allah, Sumayya, Sumayya, Ya Allah, Sumayya. I'm thinking Sumayya, my thicker is Sumayya. Doesn't happen. Now I think, oh, Allah really deprived me from Sumayya. Ya Allah, my world, what happened to my world? You took my world away. Then you realize five years ago, five years later, Sumayya wasn't good for you. So in reality, what happened? He gave you by not giving you. But we were just too caught up in ourselves to actually see. And sometimes he gives and he's in reality taken. So I say, Sumayya, Sumayya, Sumayya. And he says, okay, if you don't want to let me choose what's good for you and you want to insist on it, here's Sumayya. And then Sumayya turns out to be a painful experience. Or Ahmed, <laughs> his sisters are... Ahmad turns out to be a very painful experience. Ahmad, 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 Ahmad. Here, have him. You don't want to rely on me and say, Ya Allah, if it's good, give it. You insist, take it. Take Ahmad. I took Ahmad. Ahmad is a couch potato. Ahmad watches soccer hours during the week. He likes to watch grown men kick around a small ball. <laughs> then then, then Sumayya realizes Allah didn't give me with Ahmad He took away with Ahmad He didn't give me He took away but because my, I was so focused on the thing I didn't see Allah and because I was so focused on that I didn't rely on Allah and I wanted what I wanted and I paid the price I paid the price so in conclusion What's very interesting, and maybe inshallah this would be a segue into next week's lecture, inshallah, is the same Shaykh, <laughs> Hafidhullah, I'm remembering many things of him, oftentimes I, 
most of what I say is really from him, but I just don't remember his, I don't mention his name. So we were walking in Qatar, because he gave a he gave a lecture at the university there on the spirit of Islamic civilization. It was a very beautiful, very profound lecture about what Islamic civilization is and its true spirit at different levels. And then, um, and then over the course of those few days, we were walking on the beach one Friday. And, uh, and then, so basically the topic was Al-Hadaratul Islamiyyah. So Hadara, as you know, means civilization. Hadara is civilization. The root of Hadara is, for those of you who do in Arabic, is what? Hadara. Hadara means what? Hadara means what? To be present. To be present. Hadara, civilization. Hadara means to be present. To be aware at one level. Hudur, other ulama speak about it as Hudur al-Qalb ma'Allah. The presence of the heart with Allah. Hudur al-Qalb ma'Allah. So same root. So, you know, we're walking on the beach very interesting beach in Qatar, it, it's kind of muddy and it's not very deep for a while and all of the Muslims, alhamdulillah, they, they promenade there and they picnic there uh, it's beautiful to see, alhamdulillah, and we're walking there and then he sees some litter on the ground some, some dirt, some waste and he says, would a mutahadir now mutahadir is someone who has presence but it also means someone who is Civilized. So notice that. Someone who has presence, hudur, of heart, with Allah, and it also means a civilized person. So he says, would a mutahaddir do something like that? So we said, no. So he says, well, the reason why a mutahaddir, a civilized person, wouldn't do that is because they're their heart is present with Allah. So our Islamic civilization in every level, uh, in science, in public works, in art, uh, calligraphy, poetry, uh, song, in terms of the uh, Islamic nasheed as an art form, architecture, uh, the tiling, the way we construct the masajid, homes, car- culture, history, every aspect of our Islamic civilization is in reality beautiful because it reflects the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in those processes, human processes, and cultural and artistic processes because it reflects the names and attributes of Allah at a beautiful level and therefore it's beautiful and it gives beauty it's made in a way that is ihsan tawheed and it gives benefit and beauty to others for example our nasheeds the idea of islamic nasheed is meaning spiritual meaning not sound and tune that's not really the essence of a nasheed. 
That's not what needs to be emphasized in a nasheed. It's the spiritual meaning in that. So you have a sp- an art form of the voice and melody that's very moving. And that's created with the ihsan of Allah Azza wa Jal. And when it is done in ihsan of Allah in His consciousness, what's conveyed through that to those who listen is the beautiful spiritual meanings of that which they understand because it's no point you listening to a nice tune and you don't get it. What's the difference between that and between top of the pops? Tune, tune. So that's not what's intended. What's intended are the meanings behind that which the heart appreciates so that art form is done in ihsan and gives ihsan which makes you better. You're all the more better for listening to those reminders, those spiritual reminders of tawakkul on Allah, of Medina, of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, of attachment of our hearts to him, of his beauty, of how he dispels the darkness with his beauty. So all of that is meant to transform us in ihsan. And that is the essence of Islamic civilization. And included in that is the essence of how we deal with an aspect of our of our world, which is nature. Inshallah, I stop there. <coughs> stop there. If there's any questions or reflections, then inshallah we can share some time and then we end. <coughs> Bismillah, I, I don't have to answer anything. <laughs> yes, I think so. I think actually just experientially, not what, what I've experienced, but what I've noticed is that the most refined, the most refined of our ulama, meaning that, alhamdulillah, they fuqaha, great ilm, and then great spiritual presence of khuluq, the great, the great ones that have lived and those who live amongst us, of our teachers, all of them seem to love nature. They love nature. And I've noticed that. And I've heard stories of that. They love to be in nature. They love to be in dhikr, in nature. And the experience of nature for them is an experience of dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal. And they find, subhanAllah, it's unbelievable when you see that. They find tremendous happiness in being in dhikr, in nature, and enjoying it like that. It's a, it's a source of tremendous peace for them and solace. And I know of ulama like that. So what it should be. Uh, and, you know, one way, and then secondly, one way to cultivate that is, especially here in Cape Town, there's a lot of nature, a lot of beautiful nature. And to experience nature like that is a way of remembering Allah Azza wa Jal. It's difficult to do that with our lives and our lives are so busy and you know I don't take my children out in nature and I don't spend time myself in nature. But to do that is a good thing. To enjoy nature in dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because you see what happens at an unseen level, perhaps Allah, Allah knows theoretically now, if they're in nature, if they're in dhikr around you and you know, I'm, I'm sure cement is in dhikr too. Right? I'm sure it is. I'm sure stainless steel is in dhikr as well. And our concrete jungle is in dhikr too at some level. 
But it's just not the dhikr that can be felt as much as other sorts of natural and natural and not built up environments. So if you're in those environments and you imagine they're all in dhikr, so there's a frequency of dhikr happening. Because dhikr is a spiritual energy, call it what you want, a spiritual frequency. So that environment, there's a frequency of dhikr there. And when you're in dhikr, it amplifies your dhikr. It makes your dhikr all the more easier, all the more sweet, and all the more cleansing for the heart. That's why they love those environments, because it was cleansing for their qulub to be in dhikr there, because of the added dhikr of everything. So there's like a, a resonance. You know, signals of the same frequency, there's like a synergy and a resonance that happens when you're in those environments. And that's very practical. If you try it, you'll find that. You can easily be in dhikr and tadabbur in those environments. You know, go to you know, Harold Porter Nature Reserve. And you, you're compelled to remember Allah Azza wa Jal when you look around. And when it's quiet, it's very, very, very moving to be like, and it encourages dua, reflection, dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you make salah there, it's even more, in some way more sacred, more beautiful. So we should, we should, try, to, we should try that, inshallah. Uh, try to bring that into our lives more. Especially if we're here and there's so much that, I mean, you know, to, to I give you an example, you know, uh, one of the classes uh, that I'm, I'm a student in and sharing there, so it, I, had to do, I, was, I had to do that week, Surah Al-Kawthar. Allah says, you know, Ya Muhammad, we've given you great abundant good. So now that Friday, I, t- I teach it on Sunday morning. I was just thinking about it. I read some tafasir and I was just thinking about it, letting it percolate in my mind. So my wife said, you know, you don't ever take us to the beach anymore. So that's typically women. It's like an absolute, you never. I said, I do, just not that often. So she said, you never. So I said, we have to go. So we went. The kids were walking, learning. Alhamdulillah, I thought to myself, why don't I do this more often? You know, it's so, it's so beautiful. So as we were walking, I was reading and just thinking about Surah Al-Kawthar. Then I looked at the ocean. And it's amazing what nature can do of meanings. And I thought, well, Allah gave Rasulullah a heavenly ocean. A heavenly spring in Jannah. And look how vast this guy is in front of me. Right? And it is so, it's limitless almost. Can't see the edge of that. And it's so much water and all of the goodies inside here of secrets, of, of things, of bounties. So imagine what the Jannah Kawthar is like. Right? That abundance that he's given. And then I thought, you know, if all of this water could be beauty and goodness, imagine how much goodness Allah placed in Rasulullah because another meaning of Kawthar is khair kathir. We have given you great good. And so looking at that ocean now becomes a means of a means of very moving reflection and tadabbur on the Quran. Right? Are, are you guys in the hurry? I have one more story that's very beautiful. Are you in a hurry? Okay, then you stop it and go. No, 
you don't have to record everything. Um, you can stop and go. Honestly, you don't have to record. But I wanted to share this. This is the last one, unless you have another. I, we're at a, just because of nature now. We're speaking about nature, and these are all good reminders for myself. At, at that retreat, so uh, our teachers has, ha, have it in nature. It's always in nature. And he borrows from, uh, we, we rent from the Christians. It happens in New York State. So their retreat site is rented from them. And they're, alhamdulillah, they're, they're good people with, with generally very good khuluq. And they're kind to us and, and we have a good relationship with them. And the way they built it, now they have regular programs constantly for the youth in that place. So that's unheard of. Have you ever heard Muslims having a retreat site in nature with beautiful lakes and mountains around and having retreats for our youth? That's just not in our culture. But that's odd that it's not in our culture. That's crazy. The Christians do it all the time. They have these groups come in every summer, few months. They learn there, they spend time there, they build their bonds and so forth. And the way they built it is, it's all wood. Now, that's something else. Muslims would never think of that. We think about putting up a quick concrete building in the middle of some beautiful nature thing. We wouldn't think about, you know, the chairs are wood, everything's wood. And it feels so different to be taught in a place and it's all wood. Like it's all living, breathing in dhikr. It's a very different experience from being in an auditorium. I can tell you that. Very different. So in that place, okay, uh, anyway, in one of those places, uh, part of that is ilm, and then for two days you do outdoor activities. So what you learn of ilm, you reflect on. Canoeing, and it, sisters and brothers there, but alhamdulillah, lots of propriety. It's done very well, alhamdulillah, with a lot of haya, uh, both canoeing, and then hiking. And then in your experience of nature, you reflect on how does this teach me about what I learned? What do I see in here of the signs of Allah? Because all of nature are the signs of Allah. And it's very, very moving and a beautiful way to reinforce what you learn in a very practical way. An exercise with meaning. So one of them, it was in winter. It was snowing in Ottawa. This is in Ottawa. And uh, she had written that you know, this was her reflection. And look how profound this is. And it's beautiful for Ramadan and I'tikaf as well. Come to think of it. Her reflection was very simple. You know, I went out. So she gets dressed, hat, obviously it's cold. And, and there was a fresh snowfall. So it's very beautiful outside when that happens. So she says, I saw footsteps in front of me. Many footsteps. And we were the only ones using that at that time. So she said, I felt so comforted to be walking in that spiritual path with others. So we're walking to Allah together with our hearts. We're journeying with Allah together with our hearts. And to be part of that community of those who remember Allah, I just I felt those meanings as I followed those footsteps in the snow. Right? But then she said, I got to a part where the footsteps stopped. And the snow was just fresh. And I asked myself something like this, will I continue on beyond where others have gone? So that's very profound. 
Am I going to stop where everyone else stops? Or am I going to continue forward for Allah Azza wa Jal where people have, they've decided to stop? But will I continue and move beyond that, beyond my limits, self-imposed limits? You see how profound and beautiful that is in terms of meaning, that experience in nature, what it conveys of spiritual meaning is very, very profound. So, you know, last 10 days of Ramadan, i'tikaf, everyone can be in i'tikaf, either you're full-time or you're part-time, but there's no non-mu'atakif in Ramadan. Either you're full-time or you can't because of other duties, and then every spare moment, you're in i'tikaf. And every man who's working can at least spend a weekend in the masjid including an hour, two, three during the day. So everyone should be in i'tikaf, seeking Allah and i'tikaf, hafidhukumullah, remind myself and you, is to cling to something. That's what it is in language. To hold fast, to cling, to attach, to devote yourself to something, to be obsessed with something, to be addicted to something. So we are in i'tikaf with our hearts, Attached to Allah Azza wa Jal. That's the spirit of i'tikaf. To be in that state of attachment of our hearts to Allah Azza wa Jal. In dhikr of Allah. In Quran with meaning. Focusing in our salawat. Focusing in our salah with presence of heart. In dua, number four. In keeping Allah Ta'ala present in our minds and hearts, number five. And number six, in reflecting on the diseases and illnesses. In me, why am I not a khalifa of Allah? What's stopping me? Pride, arrogance, vanity, impatience, greed, miserliness, obscenity, lying, huh? backbiting. So I have to engage in that hard, hard, difficult, brutal self-analysis. And the only time I will ever be able to do that is when I am secluded alone. I will never be able to have a very, very honest analysis of who I am and where I am unless I cut off everything, all distractions, all attachments. And that's why he, sallallahu alayhi wa he always did i'tikaf. And did he even need to? So if I want to be show ihsan to nature and to the khalq, I have to have moments where I can cultivate ihsan. And nothing like Ramadan, nothing like the last 10 days, nothing like the night of Laylatul Qadr, to have that attachment of true i'tikaf to Allah with my heart. So any time that you have, Hafidhukumullah, uh, I remind myself first, it should be in the masjid in i'tikaf. 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, three hours, why not Saturday, why not Sunday? Anything that you don't have to do that's a, an, an obligation upon you, just carve it away. Just strip it away from your life. It's not going to help you. Anything you can delay without harm to the rights of others or yourself, delay. And for those 10 days, really focus your qalb on Allah Azza wa Jal completely Immerse yourself. 
forget yourself. Forget yourself. And only remember Him. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's what I, 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 I want to be. I want to look at those 10 days and say, Ya Allah, from now, those 10 days are going to be the best 10 days of my life. Ya Allah, that's my niyyah. So when I, when I finish that last day of Yaitikaf, I'm going to look back and I'm going to say, I have never, if all of my life was put together, remembered Allah as much. I have never made as much salawat on Rasulullah as I did. I have never read so much Quran in my life with meaning. I have never made so much dua. I have never undertaken such a serious analysis of my spiritual state and my harms and diseases in me and asked Allah to help me as in the last 10 days. I should say the best days of my entire life. That's what I should say. So that's, that's what we really want. Uh, and it's only through that that we can ever hope to be khulafa of Allah Azza wa on earth. Without that intensive alone time with Allah in Ramadan and outside of Ramadan, the pressures are too great. We will not be able to rise to the challenges that confront us in the modern world, among them environment. Wallahu ta'ala alam. Khairan. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik wa nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka Allahumma wa natubu ilayk. Barakumullahu fik. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.